How's it going? All right, it's good to see you all. And uh, hello, everybody at home or watching on YouTube. So glad you can join us. We do feel that you're a part of us, and we're very mindful of you. In fact, we're praying that God will bless you this morning as we were in our uh, pre-preparation prayer meeting. So it is very clear, isn't it, at the moment, that a lot of people, a lot of us, are finding this particular uh, range of restrictions uh, actually more challenging than the last one, uh, especially those who are in local lockdown. And when we had the hope of, of you know, having hope, extended bubbles uh, in our home, what a relief that was, that we could actually have people in our home and we didn't have to just sit outside with our, you know, warm coats on and brace the elements, especially as winter as appearing and we saw the lockdown restrictions easing a bit and then all that we hoped for it was taken away and with winter as well I know that many 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 people are finding it uh, particularly hard and that is very understandable um, and the scriptures do say don't they that hope deferred makes the heart sick so we we're hoping for release of the lockdown restrictions, and then it's almost like back to square one. We're approaching winter, people are concerned about Christmas, we're not sure when this is gonna be let up. It is a still a serious situation. And I think this situation that we've been going through, certainly as the church generally, not just Cornerstone, but right over the world, even in the world, can be described as something as a desert experience. And as you look through the Bible, you find that God's people and individuals often had times in the desert. Somebody will often say to me when I'm speaking to them, they say, oh, I'm going through a desert experience at the moment. And sometimes that will refer to maybe a dry time with God where they know God is with them, but they're not necessarily experiencing his presence as strongly or as powerfully as they once did. And there are seasons, and it is true, where God may not um, reveal his presence to us in an experiential way, in a feeling way so often, so that we can learn to rely not just on the comfort of his presence that we feel, but the reliability of his word and what he has spoken to us, that his word as good as his promise and because he is faithful and he is a God of faithfulness, and that's his character, that we can be reassured that if he said something, he will be good to uphold what he said. And I, to be honest, have gone through many times in my life where I've experienced that desert experience. And out of it, I've learned to rely upon the word of God, and that's just on the experience or the feelings of God's presence. And there is such a power and an intimacy in God's word that we rely on when we allow that work to take place in our life. And it's very worthwhile remembering, if you're in a desert experience, don't panic. God is at work in your life. And God uses the desert experience. But when we look in the scriptures, we see that the desert experience is a difficult place. It's a place of less and loss, scarcity and dryness, isolation and pressure. And God, John the Baptist was sent by God into the desert to speak to the people 
about good news is around the corner. And he sent his people into the desert to listen to the message of good news in the desert. Isn't that an amazing thought? That in a desert experience, God can speak to you a promise that the better is coming. And God uses the desert to prepare us for that better future, if we allow him to. So in the desert, John the Baptist sent by God to the people who gathered in the desert to listen to the word of God, heard these words thundering out, prepare a road. A message came in the desert to prepare a road for the Lord. Prepare for a better future. Prepare because God is coming and his kingdom is coming. Prepare a road where? In our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And this message thundered in the desert. And then Jesus, when he was baptized, he came out of the water, as you know, and the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he had those wonderful words from the Father, this is my beloved son, listen to him, he is the one whom I'm well pleased. And it says immediately after that, the Spirit led Jesus, after that amazing experience, into the desert. John the Baptist was sent to the desert. The people heard the word, the better future is coming in the desert. And Jesus went into the desert to be tested and prepared. And when he came out of the desert, his ministry exploded with power and healing and deliverance and mercy and hope for the people. You see, the desert. It's a difficult place and it's a hard place. It's not a place we would choose to go. But it's a place where God speaks and it's a place where God prepares his people. It's a place where God creates a road in our hearts to lead us into a promise, a promised land, so to speak, for your life. And even the Israelite community in the Old Testament when they were set free from the cruelty and the slavery of Egypt and the tyranny of Pharaoh, what happened before they were entered into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land we all want to be, where the fruit is beautiful, where they harvest crops that they didn't so, and they lived in buildings they didn't build, and it was a land that had rain and sun in its season, and it was a place of flourishing and blessing. How did they get there? Through a desert. And every single Israelite had to go through a desert to get there. Because in that desert... God was performing a work within the hearts of his people and preparing them so that they could enter and live in the promised land. But as you know the story and I know the story, some didn't make it. So why was that? How come some made it and some didn't make it into the promised land? How come some just lived all of their lives in the desert and never got there? Well, let's look at some scriptures and some examples to compare and apply that to our own lives. So in our desert experience, and let's, we are, this is a desert experience. Some of us are in, 
Everyone is experiencing a more sense of isolation because our human contact is less. Every single person is, is experiencing a level of restriction because we can do less. It is, it is a tight, squeezed place. Sometimes we feel the days are just going round and round. We're waiting for this to be over so we can get back to normal, whatever that is. And the, des the people in the desert days went round and round and they were wondering. And they could have got there in 10 days and over, but it actually took 40 years. Why? Because it was, wasn't about the time it took to get to A to B. It was about the work that God had to do in the people's hearts that prepared them for the astonishing better future. And if Jesus had to go into a desert as part of his preparation and his testing, hey, we can expect the same. Let's have a look at the scriptures. So I'm going to read from Numbers 32 and Numbers 14, just a few of them. Not one of those who were 20 years old or more, when they came up out of Egypt, will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the Lord speaking. Not one except Caleb and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. My servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess it, their full share of the land. Do you see there's a difference there? There's a contrast. God is contrasting between those who went in because their hearts were prepared and those who didn't. And we can sum it up in this simple phrase, heart's attitude. Joshua and Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. It says of Caleb, he had a different attitude. Heart attitude. Heart attitude is absolutely vital for you and me to journey into an increased, better future and purpose and fulfillment of God what has for us. In fact, somebody once said this, your attitude will determine your altitude. And attitude is absolutely critical for the fruitfulness and the quality of our lives and how much we're able to attain in the purposes of God. So here they were, the Israelites in the desert. So let's have a look at the two attitudes between the community that didn't get in and the few that did. The manna and the quail. The whole Israelite community set out to the desert of Sinai. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died in the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around the pots of meat and, all, and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Do you notice what they were doing there? They were focusing upon the restrictions. They were focusing upon the things that they'd lost and the things that they couldn't do now. They were focusing on the things that they couldn't enjoy anymore. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. 
There's a great hymn about that, isn't there? I'll write down bread from heaven for you. The people will go out and eat each day and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test to see whether they will follow my instructions. Notice two things. First of all, God's response. I don't know how you respond when people grumble to you. But God's response is ever full of grace. They're complaining to God that there's none of this and there's not that. And he doesn't come and whack them with a big stick, but he comes and pours out, okay, I'm going to give you bread, fresh bread every morning. And he's going to spend quail, that's uh, bird meat, um, every evening. And and note this word as well. He says, and I will test them. Do you see what happens in the desert? The desert is a place of testing. What it is, it's to bring what's in our hearts that only uh, uh, hardship can expose so that we can make a heart response to choose a right attitude that God may prepare us for a better future. On the sixth day, they are to prepare, uh, so, um, so I will test them in this. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in and that it will be twice as much uh, as, as much as they gather on every other day. So uh, on each day they prepare one portion, and on the sixth day they can gather two portions. Moses said, however, you'll know it was the Lord that gave you meat in the evening and, and all the bread you wanted in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he's heard your grumbling. And that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? Uh, and that's in the Hebrew word for what is it is called is manna. So they said, manna, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any till morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. But when they gathered it on the sixth day, because it was the Sabbath, which they weren't allowed to work, it didn't smell because God's preservation was in it. And so part of the testing was to test them to trust in the place of scarcity because they wanted to hoard. But God wanted to develop a confidence that God was faithful to provide and preserve Everything that they needed, and in this difficult, scarce, how's all this going to work out? We haven't got meat, we haven't got food, we're going to starve to death. Na, 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 blah, 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 moan, moan, whinge, whinge. They took their eyes off the Lord, that he was taking them to the promise, and the desert was a preparation of trust and faith and confidence in his goodness, so that they could dwell securely in the land that they were going to give. The desert place is a place of... uh, treading water, round and around they went. Or it can be a highway to God's promised land for you and I. It can be a place of 
round and round and here we go, or it can be a highway to a greater promise. And whether it is a place of round and round and complaint and discouragement and despondency and moaning and groaning, or a highway that actually takes us to the purposes where God wants to go and where we want to go, all comes down to heart's attitude. That's what it comes down to. Heart's attitude. And the only person who has power over your heart attitude, and my heart attitude, is me. I'm the only, I have power over that. I choose. It can be a place of frustration or barrenness, or it can be a pathway and preparation for the promised future. And uh, not everybody in this story allowed the desert experience to be used by God to shape them and to change them. God was using it to bring out what was there. It's called a test to see what was in the hearts, to see if they would walk in his ways, in heart attitude, in the hard place, in the difficult place. To see if they had faith and trust when everything wasn't clear yet. Or grumble about what they can't do and what they don't have. Isn't that human nature? Do you feel tempted to do that? Of course we do, don't we? Of course we do. Because that's the nature. And God wanted to expose this to the Israelites, and he uses it to expose our hearts to us. Why am I so miserable when although I've got restrictions, we have so much? I mean, let's face it, we've got houses and warmth and food. Our kids can still go to school right now, and we live in a, a society where people are risking their lives to cross over to the channel on rafts in the middle of winter just to get to this country and they have no hope of a home or a family that they can connect with. They've left family to get here. We're not in solitary confinement. We're not being suffering for our faith. I mean, we might say I'm bored, but we've got Netflix. I mean, for goodness sake, what is there to complain about? But we do, don't we? Why? Because our heart's attitude have been so accustomed to Egypt. And so we come out and it's taken away and we see that somehow we're miserable (laughs) when others in a desperate situation would be praising God for a tiny percentage of what we have. And the desert experience enables us to have a good look at ourselves. They said, if only we died in the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all we wanted. They moaned and blamed and complained at each other and others. And the temptation of the desert, isn't it, to make, is to make molehills into mountains. Because what happens in the desert place, because it's a restricted place. And when you're in a restricted place, your focus 
Your world shrinks, basically. And because your world shrinks is because you can't see so many people and do so much because it's restricted. And it is a bit round and round, same in, same old. What should we do tonight? Um, Netflix? <laughs> what should we do tonight? Uh, I don't Oh, do something different. iPlayer. But a world shrinks. And when your world shrinks, the little things are magnified. In a small world, the little problems become big problems. And big problems affect us emotionally and mentally. And so this is human nature. But God wants us to mature. He wants us to grow. He wants us to, as he says, in this world you will have trouble. Fear not, I've overcome the world. He wants us to be overcomers in this and have an attitude of maturity where we don't sweat the small stuff because it is small stuff. And we don't trip over the molehills because they're just molehills. We don't run into them and they don't overwhelm us. But we as the people of God have learned to overcome and have a grace upon it and see that our desert is a highway to a better place and we allow God to prepare our hearts attitude because round the corner round the corner something better and good is coming for us and I can't wait to see what God is going to do because I know God is purifying the church from all this stuff at the moment he's changing our hearts and calibrating our attitudes somebody said to me quite recently oh it's all going to be different in church, church will never be the same when lockdown and everything is experienced. Well, I suspect there may be a lot that is the same in what we do and the way we do it. But what will be different will be our hearts. Our hearts will be liberated and freed and changed because we have learnt by the grace of God and the power of God to have our emotions and our well-being and the quality of life less dependent upon trivia and stuff. And we have learnt to live simpler lives and know the goodness of God and come out of it rather than with complaint about what we can't do, but come out of it with amounts of gratitude of, from, of God for his goodness to us. And we will have a different heart. And out of a different heart flows a different spirit. And that's where the presence and the power is. You see, we don't minister in the purposes of God out of what we do. We minister out of our hearts. Out of our hearts flow a river. And it's out of our hearts that bring the river of life and the river of transformation just for us and others. And I think God is doing a wonderful thing and doing a highway in a desert for us who are his people and have the privilege of responding to it. So let not our world shrink so much that we lose focus. Let's not our hearts become so discouraged that we moan and complain about the restrictions when actually we have so much. But let's see that God is actually purifying us. And in a way, it's a bit like a long fast and see it as a work of God in our hearts at this time and have our eyes focused on the future. Now, in conclusion... 
What about Joshua and Caleb? What was their response that caused them to? So there's something to guard around, but there's something to embrace now. That's the thing with personal. We guard against some things, but we open our hearts wide for others. Well, we see that Joshua, he was Moses' servant, Moses' aide. And he began to ser- he continued to serve the purposes of God and the purposes of God's people in the desert. When we moan, it's about what I don't have. But when we serve, it's about what God wants and what will benefit others. And it says Joshua was Moses' personal servant. He served in the desert. And it says this beautifully. He not only served, but he sought. He sought the presence of God. And it says that when Moses was finished talking to God face to face, beautiful, he went back to the camp. But Moses stayed in the tent. He stayed where the presence was. He began to have and seek and embrace the presence of God in the desert. The desert is a dry place, but it doesn't have to be a dry place from God's presence. He says, though I walk through the valleys of Baca in the Psalms, springs flow up. And in the desert, God brings springs of his presence. And Moses sought the springs of his presence, and he served his purposes. Moses, uh, sorry, Joshua, learned to fight in the desert. He was a young lad who was trained to be a warrior. Learned to fight in the desert for the purpose of God. And what did he fight against? He fought against the Amalekites, And symbolically, the Amalekites represent... The flesh, the sinful life, the carnal life, they, they represent the flesh, the, the things that are in opposition to the, the ways of God. And, he, and, and it says when Moses was praying, you know the story, Moses had his hands up, Joshua's in the valley, prevailing against the Amalekites. And when his hands became tired and they, they were almost drooped, the Amalekites prevailed. And that's what it's like, isn't it? Sometimes the the sinful desires or the flesh or the selfishness or the me, the I, come into the surface. And Joshua, in the valley, in the difficult place, as Moses was praying, had to learn how to overcome the flesh. Because that's what comes out in the valley, in the desert place, the very worst of us. I don't like this. And the little things become the big things and you're moaning and you complain and you focus on what you can't do and what you like to do. I've experienced that. But that's our opportunity to overcome. He learned to discern between the flesh and the spirit in the desert. This is so important to discern when something is, seems very familiar, but you discern between the flesh. So there's this wonderful account when Moses is coming down from the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments and all the people were making a loud noise and Joshua, being a warrior and a soldier, thought it was the sound of victory and he turned around to Moses, listening to all the sound and the music and he said, oh, I can hear the sound of victory in the camp. There must have been a battle and we've won because they were celebrating. And that's how he interpreted what he heard and what he saw, but he was interpreting on the surface. But Moses, the man of God who knew the presence of God, had come out of the presence of God and said, no, this may sound like victory, but this is the sound of revelry. And actually what they'd done, they'd just fallen into idol worship where they made the golden calf. And so the sound of victory 
And the sound of revelry or idolatry on the surface looked the same, but he could only discern it by the Spirit. And Moses, who was going to be a leader, had to learn how to discern what looks on the surface the same, but actually is coming from a different spirit. That's what you learn in the desert place, in the hard place. That's what you learn. And he learned to worship in the difficult place. And he learned to preserve and protect his people in the difficult place. And he learned to rely upon the word of God in the difficult place. And, and he'd learned it so much that when all of the spies said, no, we can't take the land, Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes and said, yes, we can, because they'd learned to rely in the difficult place on the faithfulness and the power of God. Okay, they'd learned faith. And this cultivated in them a heart attitude that enabled them to possess the promise and to walk on the highway in the desert into the fullness of what God had for them. I want to encourage you today to be like Caleb and Joshua. I want to encourage you to be like Jesus who was tempted in the desert, but how long? I want to encourage you to keep focus on God's will and God's purpose for him and God's word. And as I was preparing this talk, right at the end of it, I felt just the whisper of the Holy Spirit to say this to you and everybody at home this morning and to my own heart. If you have ears to hear it, be kind. Be kind. Be kind to one another. Be kind to others. Don't be harsh. Be kind. Have you noticed in the desert place, you can be tempted to be harsh. You can be harsh husbands to wives, parents to children, children to brothers and sisters, harsh towards others, impatient and harsh. And I just felt, I feel this for us all today, be kind to one another. Choose kindness, not harshness. And in closing, this scripture for us. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, fix your eyes. Not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Not what, on where you are now, which is seen, but where you're going. What God is going to do. The glorious future ahead of you. Fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but as what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. This will pass. It will all pass. But what is unseen is eternal. The work that God is going to do in you and me through this season will last forever. We will take it with us into eternity. We'll take everything into it, into eternity. 
So fix your eyes upon these and remember this. The abundance of your life and my life doesn't come out of what we have and what we do. That's not where the measure of it. it comes out of who we are. It comes from the river and the flow of God's work in us. By a person's fruit, you will know them, but it is their hearts that produce that fruit. And I want to encourage you to be a Joshua and a Caleb in your desert highway walk. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that we have an opportunity for you to shape our hearts and lives through this desert experience that every one of us are going through. Everyone in the world is, everyone in the churches. We're all in the same desert. But you are sovereign. And for those of us who allow you to shape our hearts through this, we can come through this desert into something wonderful. Jesus came out of the desert in power. John the Baptist thundered, prepare a road in the desert. The wilderness wanderings for that second generation of responders to you entered into a wonderful promised land. We pray that we will faithfully serve you with a whole heart and with an attitude that blesses you. And we pray that all of your good plans will come into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.